I went to a friend's wedding and my co-founder was there. We hadn't seen each other in 10 years. And he had preliminarily started asking the question of like, why is there no boutique fitness option for swimming? Like, you know, you have your cycle, you have your run, you have your boxing, yoga, Pilates, but there's nothing like it for swim. And we spent the whole night talking. And from there, like the next day we drove back to our high school where we met at the pool and we were like beta testing a class. And like the first business was, we wanted to create a 45 minute boutique fitness class, the soul cycle of, of swimming. And we hacked this one headset that to do what we needed to do is very DIY. Um, but like we put this class together, we put this hardware together and we, we created the swim category on class pass and we're like, we'll, do, we'll run a few classes. If people come and they don't like it, then, you know, it, do, it doesn't exist for a reason and we can go home and like, you know, I'll go back to being a lawyer, but I want, we wanted to give ourselves like a few months of trial and erroring to see if we had something. Mm-hmm. And so out of that, basically we learned the classes were selling out, people were coming and they were coming back. But the biggest takeaway was that people wanted to buy this, in our words, janky headset that was <laughs> you know, not really consumer ready, but they wanted to buy it for their own use because there's no way to stream audio yes. underwater. And so two non-technical, non-hardware founders then set on this journey to create this piece of hardware because it didn't exist and because the problem that we thought we were solving very quickly pivoted into this, you know, Uh. much bigger opportunity that we saw. Welcome to the HNL Movement Podcast, where everything is geared to leveling up your performance in activities, sports, and life. Join me in my professional journey as I share my knowledge and experiences while also learning from professionals, colleagues, clients, and you with one goal in mind how to optimize human performance. This is the right place to learn how a multidimensional approach will sustain the performance and lifestyle you desire. Welcome back everyone to the HNL Movement Podcast. Thank you for tuning in for another episode. And for any of my new listeners out there, you're in the right place to hear about all of these topics, guest interviews that deal with elevating and optimizing your performance. For all of my returning listeners, thank you again for all of the support. And everyone out there, if you haven't checked out some of the previous library of episodes, there are a lot of great guest interviews, a lot of topics and stories that they share that we all can take something away from, relate to in some way, and help us along our journey. There's also a lot of solo topics that I cover, things to offer some resources and information with rehabilitation, injury prevention things, strength and conditioning and performance training, as well as sports nutrition topics. Also, don't forget to check out my YouTube channel. I've been putting up a lot of short video highlight clips of these guest interviews, so you can check that out. Watch some of the video content that matches the audio content that you're listening to on the podcast. And I'm finally back on it. I'm back on social media, on Instagram, trying to create a lot more informative and helpful content that will help all of you learn something and apply it to what you're doing right now. With all of this content, if you're liking what you're seeing, I would love to hear some feedback, interact with me, comment, like the video, share them with family, friends, teammates, anybody that's looking to optimize their performance. And to stay up to date with all of the content that I'm putting out, be sure to subscribe to this podcast, subscribe to my YouTube channel, follow me on the social media platforms, and I would love to interact with you in the future. 
With all of that, let's jump into today's episode. And I really enjoyed this conversation and I learned a ton from this episode. And it's really amazing to see these types of products and this type of experience be out on the market now. So we have Shira Gorin, one of the co-founders of Zygo. So Zygo, we're going to talk about this in depth in this episode. So I don't want to go too much into it. But basically, they've created this hardware that helps you to listen to audio underwater and also has the technology to double as like a walkie-talkie device where the coach and the athlete can communicate with each other through their workout sessions. But also on top of that, they've created this app and this platform that offers this boutique type of fitness classes for water sports and swimmers. In this episode, we covered a lot about not only her journey and how they created and started Zygo, but also all of the ins and outs behind the technology, the app, the services, and the future direction of where they're going. This is a great episode. So for all of you water sports out there and swimmers, be sure to listen to this episode and enjoy this one. Let's get straight into it. Welcome back, everyone, to the H&L Movement Podcast. This is a very exciting episode. I'm always interested in new innovations in the fitness and tech field. So this is right up that alley. And today we have no other than Shira Gorin, who's the co-founder of Zygo, which we'll dive into later in this episode. But thank you so much for joining me today, Shira. Yeah, no, thanks for having me on, Andrew. Appreciate yeah, it. So we are going to talk about a lot of things. And just as a kind of brief introduction. So Zygo, they have created this wearable headphone and audio technology, and they have a whole app to back that up and all of these interesting, innovative tools for swimmers and water sport athletes. So we'll talk about that in the second half. But before we get to that, explain a little bit about your background. I know you're an athlete yourself. So what it was like growing up and playing sports and what types of things you were interested in. Yeah, I mean, ever since I can remember, um, I played every type of sport, probably butt swimming. Um, but, you know, I played soccer and basketball and volleyball and um, some tennis. But soccer really became my main um, sport of choice. I think in that inflection point where you kind of either have to take one sport seriously or just kind of be um, you know, kind of in the middle at a lot of sports. So I played club soccer and that was just my all day, every day with, you know, travel club teams. Um, my best friends were on my soccer team. And I think really from an early age taught me a lot about discipline and looking back now as an adult, you know, where we have to like, quote unquote, work out. But when you grow up, it's like, you're just playing all the time. Like you're not thinking of like, I need to work out it's just being active every day. So that has been ingrained in me from like a very early age of just how sweating every day was just part of that kind of lifestyle. And then I wanted to play in college and I went to the University of Michigan um, for soccer where it was probably a really humbling sporting moment to going from being a big fish and you know doing really well to then going into like a big 10 environment where I was you know on the smaller side um and just a totally different gameplay quickly realized I wasn't going to go professional after that and so that was kind of the end of my sports of like organized sports journey, but then very quickly kind of in that learning of like, well, I still need to be active. Um, it's still part of like what I want to do every day, but like, how do you learn how to kind of work out and what that looks like as an adult? And so 
again, never was a swimmer, didn't think about swimming for fitness really, but always played sports. And then as an adult was like really fascinated by the boutique fitness movement where you had soul cycle and like other sort of spinning options. And you had a Barry's boot camp, and you had yoga and Pilates. And then you also had like boxing. And I, w- I, when I went to law school, I surfed a bit. And so you had all these like various components and factors at play in like the world of, of fitness, which um, I think was the first kind of spark of innovation or trying new things or kind of what changes behavior in people. But just kind of like thinking about that as like, you know, just on the side, not as like a, a profession. Yes. Per se. There's so many great things you said there. I mean, I think a lot of us when we're growing up, we're a multi-sport athlete, right? And then after that, it kind of comes to it and sometime. And then it's like, okay, we still want to stay fit, but we're not so competitive anymore. Maybe it's not so organized. There's not a season and things like that. So we all kind of transition into this phase and find, you know, a hobby that suits us. Well, more than a hobby, but an active lifestyle that suits us. Right. I want to ask. So I know right now you guys are based out of California. Were you born and raised in California? I was, I am. Uh, I'm born and raised in California. Yeah. And actually my co-founder and I went to high school together. So we knew each other, but then reconnected later. But yeah, I mean, my family's here at my, you know, my 98 year old grandma is basically next door. So yeah, I'm here. (laughs) Yes. So, I mean that too, right? California, it's a big sports state. The weather is roughly pretty good, right? Year round. So you can play all of these sports and it's interesting because I'm assuming that you enjoyed water sports or swimming in some aspect growing up. Um, maybe it wasn't your sport of choice or exercise of choice, but you did mention that you picked up surfing, right? When you went to law yeah. school. So was that something that you always did on the side? Yeah. I mean, I, I would consider myself a water baby. Like I, we used to go to the, uh, to the ocean all the time and just play. I could never get enough. I still like my happiest place is like by the water, by the ocean, but I really do think there is this like disconnect of like loving water and playing and whether you're boogie boarding or surfing or like that activity versus lap swimming in a pool, which feels or felt monotonous and solitary and silent and not fun. Like the other kind of water sports or other sort of activities um, are. So yeah, like I always knew how to swim, but I never thought of swimming as mm-hmm. the fitness option, I guess. Yes. So there's always things that each guest shares that I can relate to tremendously. Yeah. And you mentioned that you went to University of Michigan, which I just learned yeah. you know, a few minutes ago, <laughs> um, which is interesting because I actually lived in Michigan for about a year. Oh, wow. I was working for the Detroit Lions, but mm-hmm. For me, coming from Hawaii to Michigan and experiencing a really cold winter. I lived in Colorado briefly before that, but Michigan winter is way different than anyone, anywhere else. I'm sure uh-huh. you had similar kind of like weather shock coming from California to Michigan. Did you uh, play for Michigan all four years or five years? I played only two years. Two years. So yeah. yeah, you were there long enough. So was that something? I was there for four years, but only played for two years. Two so years, yeah. got it. Yeah. Was that something that, I mean, you can tell that just weather alone, right? It really affects our activity level. So was that something that was different for you? I know that you were playing soccer, so you're still active. But what was that transition from California to Michigan like? Yeah, well, I can only imagine from Hawaii too is like a whole other level. Um, 
first, I made the decision to go to because I, I knew that if I didn't leave California for college, I might never leave the state. And I wanted to live somewhere else and maybe have an educated opinion on why I don't ever want to live in the cold yes. again. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was it was a bit shocking how gray and cold it was. I mean, I, I will say it's also where I, I started to get into hot yoga and I think just literally just to try and warm up. Yes. Um, so that was my first experience with heated yoga, which I loved. Um, but yeah, it was more of like a trek to get yourself to go out into the cold and to either get to the gym. Obviously you're not really running outside all the time, but I, I definitely uh, learned to appreciate kind of what you take for granted when you live in a traditionally sunny year round mm -hmm. state where there's not as many excuses of why you can't get outside but it definitely yeah it definitely affects it it's also why i think growing up playing you know soccer year-round it wasn't like a seasonal sport you played it all the time whereas when you go to like other other states where the weather really is a factor you know i played a lot of indoor soccer there because um again of the weather so it was totally a totally different experience than what i had been used to for you know the 18 years prior to that Yes. And the other thing that was a surprise for me, I don't know, you can chime in, but because they're so far north, right? Besides the coldness, it was the, well, during winter, the amount of daytime you had was so short, like three thirty, four o'clock. I remember it was like, oh, the sun's going down. And that's yeah. so unusual, especially for me. But I think, like you said, that factors into an active lifestyle because now it's like, you're doing more things indoor, you're doing different things, right? You're not the sun or the daytime is not available all the time. So then you have to kind of shift how you're going to train and all of this stuff. The reason why yeah. I wanted to bring this up and ask this to you was, was this when you started to get more into that kind of boutique fitness or, you know, following apps or training more indoors, or did this have any, any, I guess, influence into how you kind of fell into this innovative training tech and all of that? Yeah, it's a good question. And the only other thing I'll say is that mm -hmm. the time frame in the winters work against you. But I will say there's nothing like a Michigan summer. I don't know if you were That's there for true. a yes. summer, but mm -hmm. it was like, you know, because it's on the western side of the eastern time yes. zone. So it's light until like 11 p.m. It's like an amazing yes. day. So true. on that. So it is kind of a cool balance there. But yes. Yeah. It, I mean, summer doesn't last forever. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think the. I think it was kind of maybe a perfect storm and I don't know if I've ever really thought about it uh, in this sense, but one going into early retirement, right. Mm -hmm. So like having to learn how to be active or work out post playing when you're, you know, working out double days every day organized. Um, and two, the weather being a factor is like, okay, how do I stay active? I'm not just going to go on a run and like just running on a treadmill felt, you know, kind of boring. And, it actually is where I, I think I started taking my first like spinning class. Mm. I don't soul cycle, I think started around 2009. So this is a, a little bit pre soul cycle when it was a little yeah. more niche, but I do think it's where I started to play around with like, like I said, like the heated yoga classes or like some other things. And I was in Ann Arbor. So, you know, they were all smaller mom and pop, yeah. but after that, then I lived in New York for a little. And so I think that with the boutique fitness options and then coming back to, California for law school was where kind of it all came together in terms of like really, really being interested in the boutique fitness. And, and again, at that time, 
studios were popping up all over the place in a lot of different mm-hmm. athletic facets. So you really did have like the pick of the litter in terms of trying new stuff as well. Got it. A couple more questions to follow up because yeah. it's kind of interesting how everyone's stories and experiences kind of come together to what you're doing now, right? So at Michigan, you know, you're a student athlete, but what was your major? And do you think that helped mm-hmm. you kind of in what you're doing today and co-founding Zygo? I wish I could say yes. Um, I was, I majored in communications, but I feel like, and, and I think this is kind of more of a macro point on like going into college. Like, I wish I had knew, I would have known more options of what majors there were. Like, for example, I specifically remember my, my, my senior year learning that there was a major called org studies, which is like organizational studies about businesses and companies and how they're run. And I, I thought that was so interesting. And I literally had no idea that was even a potential major until basically graduation. So I kind of fell into calm because it's kind of like psych, like a lot of people end up majoring in that and then not really utilizing it. So I wish I had a more on the nose major that, that helped me. Um, but not really. Yes, I I can completely relate to that. I feel the same way. And people that have been listening to my podcast know that I didn't even know what athletic training was, which is what I am professionally until I was a senior in college. So very similar. I think that we don't get exposed to all of the different majors, you know, as we go through our undergraduate studies. Now, on that note, the second question that I had was, you kind of mentioned that, okay, you had, you fell into early retirement and then swimming kind of became your, your activity of choice. Right. And I do talk about people's like injury history. So did injuries factor into ending your career earlier than you would have liked? And is that one of the things that attracted you to swimming? Because, you know, swimming is a lot more low impact, a lot less wear and tear on the body, especially if you're playing soccer year round for many years, right through high school and college. So did you have any significant injuries or did that at all factor into kind of gravitating more towards swimming? Yeah. Well, and also I actually didn't start swimming until I started this company. So it wasn't okay. right after soccer at all. Got it. Um, though, though a lot of people do come to us because they suffer from an injury. They've been long-time runners. Their knees are breaking down. Like all the reasons that you probably know even more than, than me. I actually never had really a bad injury, like knock on wood. I mean, I was surrounded by people who were constantly t- tearing their ACLs. Like mm-hmm. knee injuries were massive in, mm-hmm. in women's soccer, probably soccer in, in general, but no, I really didn't have any injuries, which mm-hmm. I mean, probably arguments to say I didn't play hard enough in some capacity <laughs> no, no. <laughs> if, if I wasn't injured, <laughs> but no, I actually I didn't. It was more just kind of this confluence of not really in, enjoying what mm-hmm. it turned into. Mm-hmm. And then also realizing like the longevity of it and then realizing kind of my college experience wasn't what I, what I wanted it to be anymore. And so it it ended, I guess, more on, on my terms though, didn't make that transition any easier. You're like Mm -hmm. mourning the loss of, uh, you know, something that was a part of of your life for a long time. Yes. But that is good that no significant injuries and, you know, you could kind of, even though it's still hard, you could kind of end when you wanted to end. Right. And then now move on into the kind of the next phase of your life. So let's talk about, you know, after you graduated from Michigan, you said Mm -hmm. you went to New York and then came back to California, but what was that path like 
that kind of led into co-founding Zygo, which I believe you guys started in 2017, I want to say. Exactly. Yeah. Perfect. So that kind of all of those years, what made you realize that this there's a big demand for, you know, this kind of service in the swimming industry? Yeah. Like I said, I came back to UCLA for law school and I was working for a hospitality company and hotels and, and restaurants. And during that time, I had started a small nonprofit, just my first foray into starting a company. I wanted to do something and it was it was called Dinating. It took dining and donating and I smushed it okay. together and we put dinners together where part of the price you paid also helped feed a family of mm. four for a day. So it was like a eat one, feed one mm. model. And it was, um, again, just my my idea and a way of giving back. And um, because I was in the restaurant world, I like loved doing things over food. Mm. And I say that mostly just because while it was a nonprofit, so like the margins and business model was so different having that experience of creating something from scratch, being able to own it and understanding what that felt like gave me the first spark of like, Oh, I like that. (laughs) Yes. Um, You know, like my day job was, you know, I was reading contracts and and redlining and while I, I did enjoy it, it wasn't necessarily getting me out of bed in the morning and it felt like a job Mm -hmm. Um, as opposed to something that like you create and it's all encompassing and like, the lows are lows, the highs are highs, but you own all of it. The company that I had been working for for five years, like it was, they weren't doing well. And so they went through like, they basically like laid everyone off. (laughs) And at that time, my co-founder was not working anymore at the company he was working at. And both of us separately were really passionate about boutique fitness (laughs) area. And I, I remember romanticizing some of my friends were like Pilates instructors or fitness instructors. And I remember romanticizing like the idea of like their lifestyle where like you're on your feet and you're active. And at the end of the day, you're exhausted, but it's like, because you did so, so much stuff. And so I I wanted to do something in that world, but I didn't know what that looked like. And I also, you know, I had my legal education. I didn't want to like just not do anything with that. And it was this moment where, I went to a friend's wedding and my co-founder was there. We hadn't seen each other in 10 years. And he had preliminarily started asking the question of like, why is there no boutique fitness option for swimming? Like, you know, you have your cycle, you have your run, you have your boxing, yoga, Pilates, but there's nothing like it for swim. And we spent the whole night talking. And from there, like the next day we drove back to our high school where we met at the pool and we were like beta testing a class. And like the first business was we wanted to create a 45 minute boutique fitness class, the soul cycle of of swimming and ended up finding actors in LA who had swim backgrounds and they were charismatic and good looking. And we hacked this one headset that to do what we needed to do was very DIY. Um, But like we put this class together, we put this hardware together and we, we created the swim category on class pass and, we rented, we just needed to find a pool that would give us an hour of time. And we're like, we'll, do, we'll run a few classes. If people come and they don't like it, then, you know, it, do, it doesn't exist for a reason. And we can go home and like, you know, I'll go back to being a lawyer, but I want, we wanted to give ourselves like a few months of trial and erroring to see if we had something. Mm-hmm. And so out of that, basically we learned the classes were selling out. 
people were coming and they were coming back. But the biggest takeaway was that people wanted to buy this, in our words, janky headset that was, you know, not really consumer ready, but they wanted to buy it for their own use because there's no way to stream audio underwater. And so two non-technical, non-hardware founders then set on this journey to create this piece of hardware because it didn't exist and because the problem that we thought we were solving very quickly pivoted into this you know, uh, much bigger opportunity that we saw. And I think our naivete in the space helped us to think, you know, we were foolish enough to think that we could, we could do it. Yes. Basically. It's interesting how, yeah, things kind of just come, come to reality. Right. And then you start to get these ideas now backtracking a little bit. So during yeah. this time when you guys were first talking about it and making this prototype type of class, were you, participating in a lot of these boutique fitness classes or were you using that kind of platform to get your activity and fitness? Yeah, I mean, exactly. So we were doing the fitness classes and then our instructors, we, we kind of had like a mandatory, like you have to take these classes because Mm -hmm. having a basic knowledge of how those classes are run, like we understood that there's a formula to it, that it's not rocket science, but it works and you have to follow it. And so Mm -hmm. we studied those classes Uh, through and through and like we modeled our swim team class after it. So you had, you know, you had your warm up, you had a technique set, then you had a circuit then you had a sprint set to get your heart rate up. And then we ended with what we called a swim asana, like a shavasana, but in the, but in the pool. So it was like your mindful (laughs) moment at the end. So you left feeling like, really, you know, positive and good about what you did. And then like little things, like we had towels ready and then we had like little packets of lotion after, cause your skin gets dry after you swim. Oh, and yeah. So the whole experience we thought was like trying to elevate. Cause like yeah. when you show up to a, a pool, a lot of times a public pool, it smells like chlorine, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's, it feels just like a little, a little old or it doesn't have that same kind of higher experience mm. that you're expecting at a boutique fitness, like a soul cycle or yes. a Barry's boot camp. And because we didn't own the pool, we wanted to do as much as we could to get that experience, you know, to match kind of the price that you're paying for that 45 minute class. So like all of those boutique fitness classes were for sure our homework to be able to pull off the classes. Got it. So those initial classes, these people were signing up and actually physically coming to the same pool. And that's what was selling out. Right. And then you guys were just letting, lending them the headsets and then playing it under the water so that they could hear everything. Right. Yeah. So that is, that is crazy. Yeah. Cause even that experience, right. I mean, your company is relatively new it's like about Mm -hmm. five years old, but to even imagine that, I think a lot of people, even though it's five years later, a lot of us can't imagine, you know, having a pool class, all in one place, right? With this experience. So that's kind of interesting that it, it came to this. Now on that note, is your, your co-founder is Charlie, right? Yeah. Charlie. Yes. Mm-hmm. Does he have any swimming background or is this his, something that he likes to do? Or is it just like you that you guys just like to do the fitness aspect and then it turned into filling this void in swimming? Yeah. I mean, again, both of us were not swimmers. Um, we had done our first triathlon together. Like that was kind of the impetus of wanting to do a triathlon, but no, I mean, he was a, you know, a Barry's bootcamp boy through and through. So he was not, not a swimmer. Both of us now swim 
mm-hmm. multiple times a week, mostly because we're still the two people testing all of the workouts that mm-hmm. go onto our app just to make sure that they're good. But previous to this, no, no swimming background. He ran marathons, but no, no swimming. Okay, let's let's dive into more of the nuts and bolts of what the growth process was like for your company Zygo. So now you had this, you know, you're trialing these classes, you saw that, yeah, there's demand, people keep coming back for this. And then you actually created the company in 2017, right? What was that initial process like? I know that there's demand, but now like you have to, you know, actually refine or fine tune the hardware. Now you have to, you know, figure out how to get more classes on this app platform. So talk about some of the initial I guess, growing pains that you had to go through in the beginning. I mean, it's, it's interesting because when you say five years, I'm like, whoa, that's kind of old because it doesn't feel that way because we only, well, I'll start at the beginning. So the first company ran the classes called Swim Team. And so at that time, we were just running these classes in LA. And the hardware we were using, at first we were like, oh, we could just fine tune this piece of hardware. But we realized when we reverse engineered it that, it was from a small factory in China and we realized that it was using an illegal government owned radio frequency. Okay. So it, it wasn't really saleable in the United States in general. <laughs> so we very quickly learned that we had to not use that one and we would have to build it from scratch. And so we started what is now Zygo, the company at the end of 2017 to hold all the IP and all of the, you know, for the comp for that separate company. And Again, we were very ambitious, never having built hardware before. We, we thought we could, okay, we'll, we'll start on the hardware and we'll build it and it'll take like a year, you know, three and a half years later. Yes. Uh, that's, so basically from the end of 2017, we stopped running the classes because from a business model perspective, it just didn't work because you can only fit so many people in a pool yes. and you're paying like to rent the lanes and you're dealing with like pool bureaucracy. It was like not a great system, though it did prove that there was a market. So from the end of 2017, we started on the hardware, not running classes. And we basically were developing hardware alongside engineers in our factory all of 2018, all of 2019, and only began shipping product in September of 2020. So- what we thought was like going to be just a year ended up being closer to three years of R and D and, and building the hardware to then get it into consumers hands. So like from our perspective, it really is, you know, 2020 Got it. to now of Got our it. like actual sales of for company. So thinking back to, you know, just real briefly for the listeners, right? To see how far and how intricate and how much time it took to develop this hardware, right? Talk briefly about what was the technology before? You said that they were using this kind of not so legal, I guess, or ethical uh, radio frequency, but how did it work before? How were they transmitting the audio to the headsets? Right. So as you kind of mentioned in the beginning, Bluetooth doesn't penetrate water. So you cannot use Bluetooth as a technology. Otherwise, it would be really easy for, you know, just to have your Bluetooth tech work in the water. Mm-hmm. So you have to use radio frequency with a long enough wavelength to be able to penetrate the water. In the US and in every country, you have like a regulated open bandwidth of frequencies that you're able to utilize. And so when we reverse engineered the one that we were using. 
if you had an unlimited frequencies, like you could pick from a bunch of different ones, but because of like TV and military, I mean, there just has to be kind of a regulated around it, a regulation around it. So the one that we were using was just using a band that the public domain cannot use in the U S. So it worked the same as what our current system uses Mm. basically in that the transmitter transmits a radio frequency to the headset in a long enough wavelength to be able to penetrate water. It's just that the frequency they were using would not have gotten FCC approval. And we had to go through all of the, you know, formal steps of getting approval, FCC, CE approval to be able to have our hardware be a, you know, an actual consumer product on the market. So real briefly, and you can share whatever you want, but how were they getting these headsets? Who was making them? (laughs) Well, it it was a small factory in China. And so they were like barely marketing it. And Uh, some people had bought them, but it was like one-off ones, but they weren't like uh, technically selling it in the US and there's no brand around it. So uh, it's not really in in the market. Like you can get them, but like if you're not really selling them or like, you know, it would take a lot for the government to like have to look into Got it. Something that's not real. Yeah. So that, I mean, we found them somehow too, uh-huh. but they're not like, you know, a, a brand that you can just find and, and buy for your own. Also uh-huh. from a consumer standpoint, they're like, there wasn't a lot of thought around the look and the feel and the design mm. and the user experience. So it, it, again, in our minds, it was completely janky, but worked for the purpose that we needed it to at the time. Got it. Let's dive into a little bit more. So talk about, okay, you, you described the previous headset as kind of like this janky headset, right? <laughs> so then I'm sure not only with the logistics of getting the audio to transmit through water, right? That was a huge hurdle, but even now you could kind of make everything or create it how you want it and how you feel is user-friendly, maybe more comfortable. What's the most easiest way so that you can actually do the swimming, right? So talk about that, like briefly, what gold what went into the design of this? What kinds of things were some of the big key points to make sure that the Zygo headset and the transmitter and all of these things, how it looked and how it worked for you guys? Yeah, it's a really, it's a good question. It's kind of a fun question to think back about too. Um, one, we took the experience from using the older headset as information of what we wanted to do or not do. Um, for example, with the old ones, you had to, each one you had to plug in itself to charge. Okay. So like, you know, I, when we were running the classes, it was, uh, Charlie lives in London. So it was basically like me charging them. So I had them like all over my apartment charging individually. <laughs> and then when you took them out, they were like monkeys in a barrel because they just all were free floating. And so we wanted the whole system to be in a charging case where you plug the charging case in and it charged the whole system. Um, In our mind, that was just a much better charging experience. And so we learned that from, you know, the Uh old headset. And then again, that one had kind of wires showing and we wanted it to be sleek Mm -hmm. and elegant. And because it's a wearable and because we knew it would probably be in the premium, category we wanted it to feel rugged but also modern mm-hmm. um and and comfortable um i think kind of on a side note i now looking back i learned that 
you can either build a product from the inside out. So like starting with the electronics and then figuring out what you want it to look like, or we had started with an, an ID team. So we had a design of what we wanted it to look like. And then we connected with our engineer and we're like, okay, well now you have to make it work inside this housing or, you know, this aesthetic. I think there's pros and cons to both. (laughs) I think we made it harder on ourselves to make it work because we had a design in mind. But Mm -hmm. again, from our perspective, we really wanted it to look and feel like a top-notch product because of what we had seen and experienced with the other, other model. And so that kind of informed a lot of our decision-making. But again, we learned a ton along the way. We probably spent too much money in some places and not enough in other places and timing. And so, you know, if, and when I ever create something else in the hardware world, I've, I've learned a lot from this one experience. Oh, I'm sure. And this is a huge, you know, obstacle going through the steps. And as you mentioned, it took three and a half years, right. To come with the final model, briefly explain how the technology of the headset works, because I ha- I haven't seen one. I will want to see one, yeah. you know, soon. So well, sure. I'll, I'll be sure to get on that, but does this actually go in your ears or because you're transmitting the sound wave through your bones, right. Is my right. understanding of this. So how does it fit on you? How, just so that the listeners who are interested, sure. you know, in training with audio, how, can you describe basically how this headset fits and where, where you wear it on and things like that? Yeah, sure. So from a system level, so you can Bluetooth connect your phone to the transmitter. The -hmm. transmitter, from a consumer perspective, just sits on the outside of the pool. Mm -hmm. It also doubles as a one-way walkie-talkie. So coaches Mm -hmm. can then communicate in real time. It holds a lot like a stopwatch. But so that transmitter converts the Bluetooth, whatever you're streaming, Mm -hmm. into the radio frequency that then transmits to the headset. And the headset uses bone conduction technology. So it doesn't go in your ears. It sits right in front of your ears. Actually, the bone that it sits on is called your zygomatic arch, which is where we took the word zygo from. So it sits right in front. And the reason we chose that was, one, for open water sports, it keeps your ears open for comfort and safety. And then two... Actually, the audio underwater is better than above water because the water helps with the conductivity. So we like that aspect. We include earplugs. Earplugs help with sound fidelity just because it blocks that out. And then three, in our R&D period, we've used every single underwater MP3 that exists. And a lot of them go in your ears. And from our perspective and anecdotally from consumers or just people who swim a lot of times like they fall out or you get water in your ear it's not a great user experience and so we thought this was like a much better uh option for our initial product to go with got it the first thing is when you started describing where it sits and then finally it connected i was like that is why you guys call it zygo (laughs) but anyway that's just a side note and then the second thing is that so these other you know, audio devices, right. That actually go into your ears because they can't transmit the radio frequency underwater. You're actually, it's a corded thing, waterproof cord or something. Is that how it works? Yeah, exactly. So a lot of them have cords that connect to your goggles. So you have Uh, to like connect them and then they go in yours and they're an MP3 player. So you have to, you know, own download and then plug in, which I don't think anyone younger than us has or knows what an MP3 player is. 
Um, and also, again, the user experience, having to have these like corded things yeah. that then attach your goggles, like they're cumbersome, they end up breaking and they're a more of an annoyance than they are yes. helpful. And again, that wasn't our self-fulfilling prophecy. A lot of people mm-hmm. said that to us, which is again, informed the decisions mm-hmm. around design. So does this headset, and this is just me, you know, not knowing right now, but does it come in different sizes or is it like one size fits all and you can adjust it or how does it stay so, you know, I guess tight to your head, right? So that it's not moving around when you're swimming and doing whatever you need to do in the pool. Can you explain a little bit about that fit and how that works? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So originally, again, we were a little naive um, and we're like, we want to make it adjustable because the other one wasn't adjustable. Mm -hmm. And we learned really quickly that that would add a lot to the R and D borderline, not necessarily possible because um, waterproofing and just because if you're opening and closing stuff and then if things break. So we did, a head size study and we knew that this initial version it's one size fits most we knew it would not fit everyone like i don't know that we could have picked a harder product because (laughs) it's like on the head and it's audio and it's underwater there's like so many things going on but we knew that there's gonna be about 10 percent who in our we call them big brained customers Mm -hmm. who just it won't fit so we have our one size right now we have a large size that's coming out within the next month or so. And we have like a decent size waiting list for that. So I think that'll open up a massive world for us just because for comfort and there's a lot of people who swim that I think it'll be uh, better for. And then in terms of it staying on, at the beginning when we were doing a lot of the design, we have a couple Olympians in our network and just people who swim. And our requirement was that when they do a flip turn, when they dive into the water, it cannot fall off. Like you need to get in the water and it become invisible. It can't be something that you're constantly fidgeting around because then instead of enhancing your swim, it'll detract from it. And the design of the way that it fits right over your ears and sits here, um, you know, it's hardware, things go wrong, but we do not get complaints around it falling off at all. It just, the way that we design kind of that ear hook over and there's just enough pressure where it stays on. That was a big piece of our design because again, the original one in the classes, like sometimes it would fall off, which like every time made my heart sink just because it takes Mm. you out of that experience. Like it kind of like busts that bubble. So we wanted it to make sure that it would stay on the head. You definitely, your team and everyone that helped with this definitely did their due diligence because (laughs) I mean, research with anything, right? I can fully relate to this as I go through my studies right now, because this Mm -hmm. is research. Like you start with this idea and then you start to learn about something and you realize there's like thousands of other things that I didn't consider. Right. And then you have Mm -hmm. to kind of come back. Okay. How am I going to revisit this to make it work? Right. So all of these things is super interesting. And I can tell that you guys are still trying to improve the product, right. You know, make it for different head sizes, make it, make sure that that experience is good. Right. And this is all just with the hardware side. Right. Um, Another question that came to mind was, so, you know, each person, right. Has their transmitter, which can double as that walkie talkie, right. If Mm -hmm. a coach were running like a small group or something, is it, does he need everyone's transmitters if he needs to talk to them or can you set it to talk to like a group? If you have some type of setting in a, you know, a small group of swimming, swim class or something. 
Yeah. So each transmitter can connect to an unlimited amount of headsets. So mm-hmm. if you wanted one transmitter, each person could bring their headset and turn it on in the mm-hmm. close by to that transmitter. And it would automatically connect to that single transmitter. And then the coach would be able to just have one to many and mm-hmm. you can't single someone out like on each headset, mm-hmm. but like, you know, usually when you're coaching, like some coaching tip for one might help another. So mm-hmm. you can coach in, in small groups like that. Got it. No, this is all great information. And I can see how much use and demand there would be for something like this. And, you know, like with exercise in general, right? We know that, you know, just music or, you know, something to guide you through that process. We know that it has such a positive effect, right? So just applying this to the water sport world, I think that's tremendous because all of these years, you know, now it makes me wonder like, what are you guys thinking about when you're training, right? Just the pain, maybe, I don't know, but it's just, you know, looking and expanding some of this experience for these swimmers, right? Well, do you have anything to add? No, I just, I like get excited when someone kind of like gets it or says something that like, it's, it, it really is the reason that we're, we're doing this you know, before the iPod or before you could really like, there was a lot of options to run to music. You had a lot of purists be like, Oh, well running is my outlet and I don't want anything. I just want to like run and look at nature. Mm -hmm. And now it's pretty ubiquitous, right? Like Mm -hmm. most people, when they go on a run, listen to something. Mm -hmm. And so our whole thesis on this is that the same should be applied for swimming. Like you should have the option and you can still be a purist and not listen to anything, but you can also listen to a motivation, a motivating podcast, or you can listen to a motivating playlist, or mm-hmm. you could get technique um, from, you know, our app of guided workouts or w- whatever that may be. Yes. We're not going for necessarily that person who's training for the Olympics, right? Like we're going for like the mass market of just the consumer who wants to, you know, we have people who are on their like sixth audiobook and they're like, they yes. swim longer and, and, and faster because, they're, they don't want to get out of the pool because they're finishing their uh-huh. audiobook, And like, that is what we're going for, right? Like that moment where it's like more fun and you are looking forward to the sport yes. as opposed to it being solitary and monotonous in, in some capacity. So, yes. yeah, I mean, what you said is right on point. Yeah, that opens up so many opportunities for just, you know, enhancing that experience, like you said. And with that, let's transition into the app. So I think this is the original kind of what sparked the idea, right? You got into the hardware stuff and had to figure out how to overcome all of those obstacles. But now talk about the app experience that you're creating and how these fitness classes work, how, you know, what the experience is like and how you're getting all of this different variety, I assume, of classes, instructors, and people to, you know, actually guide people through some of these swimming workouts. Yeah. And again, I think it's very similar story. Like both of us, being fascinated by the rise of Peloton Mm -hmm. at the time we were running the classes, Peloton was growing in popularity too. And so, you know, you had a lot of people talk about, you know, well, no one's going to do it at home. It's so different. And that quickly, you know, got busted because people were doing it at home. And so we not only in doing the classes, but also in understanding the difference between land-based fitness and like when you could see a video versus all of our workouts have to be audio because you're not watching a screen, but the same things apply, right? You have an instructor and they're guiding you through this workout. We have a music licensing deal with one of the top record labels. So we have fun music and then it just, 
kind of understanding the surroundings, right? So we found coaches all over the country mm-hmm. that um, have a swim background and they have to be charismatic. Like not all coaches are created equal. And so we sifted through a lot to have six really strong uh-huh. instructors, but it's like everything from a little thing of understanding like, okay, well, not everyone's swimming in the same size pool. So how do you have a workout that doesn't matter what size pool? And it's like, well, then a lot of the intervals are based on time. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, it's a warm up and a coach saying like, Hey, whether you're in a 25 yard pool or a home pool, just listen to my cues and everything will based on a, be based on a 30 second interval. So mm-hmm. when I say sprint, sprint for 30 seconds, whether that means one lap, whether that means three laps. Mm-hmm. And so everyone can be on the same page. And then you interject the fun playlist, which again, changes behavior. There's so much science around what music does mm-hmm. when you're working out. And then also like, you know, they don't see you just like no. the instructor doesn't see you when they're on a Peloton bike, but putting in cues, like, you know, don't stop now. Or like, you're doing great. Again, the same mental science <laughs> yeah. of it exists where it's like, I know they don't see me, but hearing that pushes you or makes you feel good. Yeah. And so the workouts are everything from, you know, a learn how to freestyle technique set to, uh, you know, a 30 minute hit training to 45 minute, you know, more of an endurance style swim and kind of everything in between. It really runs the gamut of types of, of workouts. Got it. So just to backtrack a little bit, did you start creating all of these classes and workouts through COVID or did you already start before COVID? Man, I don't even remember when COVID started or not. Um, well, I it's been about two well, years I already. Yeah, yeah I, I haven't really thought about this either. But so at the beginning, because we had learned so much during this when we were running the classes, uh-huh. the first probably thirty workouts were all hand scripted by Charlie and I. Okay. We like we hand wrote the classes. We hand wrote like okay, ten second break. Insert this song. 45 second break, insert this song and then would type it out. And then one of our coaches is also a voiceover actor. And so he then recorded all of it. And then we had an audio engineer put the music with his voice. Uh So again, very DIY, but (laughs) we created those classes. And then we realized like not really scalable. Also like probably not the best for Charlie and I to be writing the workouts because one, we're not swim instructors. And two, like there is a, finite amount of those workouts that we can probably mm. write. So then we shifted to let's find a few more instructors who can create their own workouts. Okay. And so we had probably those scripted out 2000 in 2018. So before COVID and then our current instructors, we found during COVID okay. the beginning of COVID or no, maybe some in 2019, but definitely okay. 2020, we signed up a few more. I mean, it's all remote work. So from that perspective, it worked really well. Um, But yeah, we sifted through a lot of people to get like a very solid group of of six of them. Got it. And the only reason why I ask is because, I mean, you know, obviously COVID threw a wrench in a lot of things. Everyone's world got thrown upside down. But for this product specifically, right? If you already started having a bunch of classes out and you were selling it, you know, in 2020 or whenever that was, explain that. How did everyone was at home trying to find workouts? You know, I guess you would have to have access to a public pool if you didn't have your own pool, right? Or, you know, the ocean. 
Well, the ocean, we'll talk about that at the end because I <laughs> do have a question about that. But did that, do you think that helped to grow some of that influence or, you know, that popularity during COVID where a lot of people jumping on this platform because they wanted to get not only swimming workouts in, but it was a new innovative tool that they had. I think it's interesting because obviously logistics and manufacturing and shipping added a lot of um, challenges to what we were doing as a small startup, especially. But I also think during COVID, it really to us and to others proved the market for swim Mm. pools we're now taking res- reservations and it was very hard yeah. to find lap time. Like mm-hmm. people who swim are passionate population. They yeah. do not want to miss their, their lap time. And so we actually just couldn't keep up with demand. Like we strategically built a small amount to not overspend at the beginning and really just sell, have people use it, listen to early adopters, get feedback you know, try and bring feedback back to anything we could, you know, change that wouldn't take too long. But yeah, we, we did find that a lot of people were buying it and using it. And even now coming out of COVID, even more people are like, you know, you're not going to take your Peloton bike with you (laughs) to travel, but we have people Uh who take it with them and they're like, Hey, I'm in Mexico and swimming with it, or I'm wherever and swimming with it, taking it on vacation or, because it's not getting hot and people can finally go outside, we're seeing like an influx of demand for it, which yes. is which is really fun to see. Yes. No, that's really interesting to hear. So, you know, it's everyone will put up all of the contact information and all of that so that you can go check it out. You have a lot of content out there because before we started recording, I was looking up some of the things and there's a lot of information out there that you have put out, right? To give people an understanding. I want to touch briefly before we kind of end is, so we talked a lot about, you know, like swimming, training in pools and, you know, doing those types of workouts in the pool environment, but talk about, I don't know how many people actually have access, you know, to like, open ocean training, right? Maybe Mm -hmm. not when it's super rough, but even in Hawaii, there's a lot of places that, you know, it's in a lagoon environment or you can swim like almost like laps in a pool, except you're in the ocean. So you you don't have to keep turning around and all of this stuff. So in that environment, are there people that have utilized this product and like, what do they do? Because now obviously the transmitter, I think for like stand up paddle, paddle boarding, if I'm not wrong on your site, it said something like, over water, right? It can travel the frequency, the radio frequency can travel about a third of a mile, but is there any, um, I guess, how do they troubleshoot this? Do they put their transmitter and their phone in like a waterproof pouch? Because I know people do that and then like take it with them or what is your experience with that? And what recommendations do you have for that type of training? Yeah. And it's, we've always thought open water is like such an interesting market and there's a lot of aquatic activities that take place we think they'll probably have to have some add-on features like maybe like a leash to keep the headset on just in case Uh, like if a wave comes and stuff but to answer your question specifically we've had people who surf with it that like a dad was teaching his son how to surf and it was like paddle stand up so kind of like instructional we've done paddleboard yoga is um increasing in popularity and like again the instructor being able to talk one to many we've demoed that And then for just swimming specifically, like Charlie swims open water a lot and uses a dry toe bag Mm -hmm. and puts his phone and the transmitter in it. And then you're able to just continually swim with it. No problem in open water. And then 
in a lagoon environment, like you mentioned, depending on where you are, if you're able to put the transmitter, let's say on the dock or maybe on the shore, just really depends on where you are since frequencies are different in every area, you might be able to get that, that distance as well. So okay. it's definitely doable, especially with a dry um, swim toe. It, it works totally fine. No, that's super interesting. So, you know, check all of this, these products out because for a lot of people that train here, I'm sure that they're looking for some type of audio yeah. product that works well, right? Um, if you're in that kind of environment too, maybe the surfing or stand-up paddle boarding or whatever it is, I'm assuming that there's volume control, right? Like normal headphones. Yeah. So yeah. how is it to, you know, have the volume where you still can hear, right? Um, verbal things, right. verbal cues from other people. Explain that experience, I guess, for the listeners. Yeah. I mean, again, that's why when like, cause if you're swimming in a pool, we do recommend using earplugs, um, again, enhancing that experience, but leaving your ears open with just the headset on for open water stuff is really important. Like if there's a boat, if, you yeah. know, if someone's trying to give you instruction, so being it, you can control the volume on the headset and on your source mm -hmm. audio. And from my experience, um, and we have, we haven't really heard this feedback, like mm -hmm. it won't get so loud that you're not able to hear things going around. I mean, I think it's also why a lot of times if you're looking for like the best headset, like for land, you don't use bone conduction because you can hear too much outside noise and it's mm -hmm. not great audio. Um, but again, on the flip side, in an open water environment, you kind of want that experience. So you can hear both. Got it. As we kind of wrap up, do you have any unique story or experience from a consumer or just one of your team members that really, I guess, um, shows the value of, you know, this Zygo product, headset, app, whatever it is, anything that sticks out to you that will make, you know, any of the listeners think, I really want that experience, right? Yeah, I mean, I'll just, the things that came to head, that came to my mind, um, one, there is this woman who every time she finishes an audio book will send us what the book is and what she's uh. going to read next because she's already on her seventh and it's been like, uh. you know, a few months. So that's always really fun just because she's like getting through her books faster than she ever did as she tells us because she's listening to them. Uh -huh. We have another guy who has two because he's trying to break a record at his swim club for the oh. amount of mile or amount of yards or miles that he's swimming in a year. And mm -hmm. he swims so long that he wanted two so that he could have like enough battery life to swim like the however long mm -hmm. he swims mm -hmm. for. So that's fun and an aggressive use of <laughs> yes. the product. And then I think just more of like a heartwarming, like feeling that, you know, an unintended consequence of mm -hmm. bone conduction is that people who are hearing impaired can mm -hmm. also hear because mm -hmm. it skips your inner cochlea and you're able to yeah. hear a lot of times you use for hearing aids. And we had a dad reach out whose son is hearing impaired and he was able to listen mm -hmm. with our headset. And so again, that's just kind of one of those that like, didn't set out necessarily just for that, but it's like a, an amazing feeling to hear that and be able to provide a product that um, his son can use. Got it. As well. And you did mention that water helps to conduct the radio frequency more, but it is still like when you're standing up paddle boarding or on land, right? It still conducts the audio. Well, yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah. And then able to hear. since you mentioned that we'll touch on how, what's the battery life like? Um, I'm sure it's, you know, more than what you, need for our average workout, but what's the battery life like for those that are wondering, you know, more endurance swimmers that are training for that? Yeah. So the transmitter will last usually like six hours. The headset, okay. depending on what you're using it for, 
it should be up to three hours, usually between two and three hours. So like for a good workout, it's why we designed the home base to kind of be a charging docking station. So you can just easily plug it in. Um, and then the two things we're working on for battery life is one, we're working on a real time battery reader right now. You have no insight into how much battery you have left. And so we're going to have in our app, a battery level. So you can see what your charge is on the headset and on the transmitter. And then we're also coming out with an, like a power case, kind of like AirPods where it's a built-in battery. So you don't have to plug it in every time. And the Um, case itself also has a chargeable battery. So those are two things we're doing to kind of enhance that experience around battery life. Got it. And you already kind of touched on some of that, but any other future direction or innovations that you guys are working on besides the battery meter, the battery life charging, you know, in just the case alone, is there anything else that you can share that, you know, you're looking forward to in the near future? Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest piece is metric tracking. There currently is an accelerometer on the, on the PCB board in the headset. It's a small chip, but the more expensive part is the software to be able to read Mm. that accelerometer. So we're working on hopefully over summer being able to come out with a unit that can, can track your metrics. So whether you do a workout in our app, it'll have, you know, your distance and your, and your labs that you swam. And we think that that metric tracking and kind of adding into your health kit will again, enhance the value proposition of what we offer and then can also start to gamify it. So it's like, you know, Hey, Andrew, you just swim the length of the English channel. Or if you're part of like a team and you can add yardage to your team's total, you know, how long you've swum. um, We think that'll be a really fun thing to be able to, to play on. And that's what gets us excited because that's more of like the community and brand building and not just the hardware piece of it. So hopefully within the next few months, we'll be in that position. That's very exciting. And like you said, now, since, you know, the hardware obstacle for right now, right, is pretty, pretty uh, in place. There's so many possibilities of how you can enhance this experience with your app and all of these metrics and tracking these things, right? So yeah, everyone stay tuned for all of the things that you have working on that they're coming out with. Before we end, how can they find more information? You can explain or list all of your social media, I'll add it in the show notes as well, and your website, and how can they reach you? Sure. So our website is uh, shopzygo.com. Our Instagram is at zygogram. Um, I'm Shira. You can always email me. It's S-H-E-E-R-A at zygoco.com. Very responsive. Welcome any feedback or thoughts or questions. And yeah, check us out and feel free to reach out. We love hearing, you know, user experience or if there's any, if there's any questions, happy to help. Got it. Do you have any agreements or things that you have done for like high school teams, swim teams, water polo teams, or anything like that? Just as a communication aspect for the coach to communicate better to the the players. Is that something that is pretty popular? You know, it's interesting. We thought it would be more popular, but also during COVID, a lot of teams weren't necessarily getting together or if they were what we have found is that the sales cycle for swim teams is like someone should go in person, demo the product, mm. and then they can make a decision. But because demos weren't really happening, yeah. it kind of took a sidestep. We still think it's really valuable, but mm. it's definitely like a longer cycle. And now we think it's actually might be better for like swimmers to experience it and then bring it to their coaches and be like, hey, mm. actually, can you use this and kind of go the upstream way of, of selling? 
again, that's still a kind of a question mark. We still think it's a decent sized market and, and a useful tool. Just COVID kind of put a wrench in that sort of yeah. um, experience for now. Definitely. But there's so many opportunities in Hawaii. Maybe you'll make a trip out to Hawaii and demo it for one, I'd of, love to. one of the teams love one to. day. So if anyone's listening, yeah, maybe we might see you soon. But no, thanks so much for all the information. Any last words, words of wisdom, things that you have for anybody to hear, not only swimmers that you would like to share? Uh, the first thing that comes to mind is just kind of what we were talking about within like, like uh, majors in college and where you land and I would just suggest that no piece of your history or experience has to inform your future or what you end up doing. I think there's a lot of things to learn along the way, but pay really close attention to what kind of work you like or what kind of people you like doing things with and, and have that be your, your North star. Cause it'll lead you in many different ways, but potentially the most rewarding because as a non-swimmer, non-engineer working in swim tech, <laughs> I, I wouldn't have guessed <laughs> that I'd be here. So I think that's kind of my parting words. Yes. That's a great message. And it's, you know, I'm sure many of your consumers and future consumers, they're so glad that you guys created this product and did all of the research and development of this company, uh, Zygo. So everyone go check it out. But other than that, this is a very fun conversation. I learned a ton about not only your technology, but swimming in general. So thank you so much for coming on. And I really appreciate your time, Shira. No, thank you, Andrew. Your line of questioning was, was uh, very fun. So I appreciate it. 